read John 14, just to set the tone for John to come up and preach about John and his words. Alrighty. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with all of you this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show Him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does His work through me. Just is in me. Oh, sorry. Just believe that I am the Father in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads me, who leads into all truth. The Word cannot receive Him. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognise Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not the world at large? Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. When I am telling you this, when I am telling you, sorry, what I am telling you from my Father who sent me, I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, 
He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember that I told you I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. Let's just close your eyes for karakia. E te atua, homai kia mātu, tu maramatanga, tu rangamārie, tu kaha me tu aroha, mō tenairā. O Lord, give us your enlightenment, your heavenly peace, your strength and your love this day. Amen. Final last words. Hopefully these are not my final last words. But um, Final Last Words is a series that is based on the Upper Room Discourse. And the Upper Room Discourse is recorded in detail in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. These are some of the most important words in all of Scripture because Jesus explains not just what's, what, is, what is about to happen. He talks about how, how believers in the future will have a close relationship with him to the point where God himself will come and live in us. In the Old Testament, God was with them. In the New Testament, once Jesus had ascended back to heaven, God now becomes in us. And it's this intimacy of relationship which is what God wants to bring to you and is what Jesus is talking about in these passages. Last week, Joel talked about, talk, spoke out of John chapter 13 and we can't cover everything. We're just gonna pick out a couple of major themes today. Last week, John fo- I mean, Joel focused, gotta get the names right. Here's my son-in-law for heaven's sake. I get, you know. Um, get, um, Joel spoke about and focused on uh, with the, the amazing scene where Jesus at the Last Supper, at the Passover, took off his outer robes, put a towel around him and washed their feet. And Joel said, which I thought was a really lovely phrase, that in doing so, Jesus shows that he not just likes us, loves us, but he also likes us. And John 14 puts some flesh on this, that he not only loves us, he likes us intensely. John chapter 13, the foot washing ceremony, or foot washing, just showed the very first of a series of condescension of the Son. What I mean by that is, is where Jesus does not hold on to his godliness. In fact, he takes the lowest form of human being, and that is the one who washes feet. 
And then through the whole of, the, of these, these passages, it's all about Jesus serving us. And then he goes through the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane. He is then betrayed, arrested, tortured, crucified. What's amazing about Jesus is that even though by nature he is God, he didn't hold on to that for his own advantage, paraphrasing Philippians 2. But what he did was that he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He made himself nothing or of no repute. He humbled himself by going to the cross. And so Jesus in the foot washing is just the first scene of the series of, 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 of humility or humbling things that Jesus does for us in order to demonstrate his love for us and to prepare the ground. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, with, I think with the foot washing in mind says, but you, that is believers, speaking to the Corinthians, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. John chapter 13, we will get to 14, Jesus rolls three hand grenades into his, amongst his disciples. He gives them three shocking pieces of news, which deeply unsettled them. The first piece of shocking news, he said, and it says that Jesus was deeply troubled within him. And we're going to look at that word troubled in a minute. He was deeply troubled. And then he said, because one of you is going to betray me. Jesus was saying, and they'd just been, had the foot washing, they had all of these beautiful things. Actually, was, actually they hadn't had the foot washing then, but that Jesus had just made an announcement that one of you is a traitor. You've been with me since I called you. One of you is a traitor. You're going to betray me. But that's not all. Jesus then rolled the next hand grenade in and said, also, by the way, I'm going to leave you. And by then, one's a traitor. Now Jesus is going to leave us. And then Jesus doesn't fill them with a lot of hope. He said, because where I'm going, you can't come. Real gloom started to fall in the room. Oh, there you go. I'm a poet. You know the key thing about poetry? You know the key, the most important things about poetry? Is getting the words in the right order. Um, now, that was terrible, wasn't it? That's about as good a joke a theologian can, can bring, really. The third hand grenade that he rolls in was specifically aimed at Peter. Remember, Peter was the one who was going to boo. He is the rock who's going to become rock. Peter means little stone. I'm, you're going to be big rock, and upon you, I'm going to build, your, build my church. And then he says to Peter, you are going to disown me, not once, but three times. More gloom in the room. John 14, we can put our first slide up, starts with Jesus addressing this deep troubling that the disciples had. And this is what he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's that word. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to, there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way I am going. Do not let your hearts be troubled. The disciples were troubled. Now let's just put some perspective on the word trouble. It doesn't mean the troubles that we might have in life. Like one of my, one of my troubles is my hair is getting thinner. <laughs> it's no longer dark, curly. It just doesn't do that anymore, but I have one curl left at the front. And I'm under instructions from Janelle that I've got to cultivate this. So when I shampoo my hair and condition it, I have to sit in front of the mirror to get the flick. And sometimes I come down and I say, darling, look, I've really tried. I'm deeply troubled. I just can't get the thing to work. That's not trouble. The Greek word troubled here, this is actually what it means. It means revulsion. It means horror. It means deep anxiety. It means frightened. So when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, what he's really saying is, you don't need to be frightened. You do not need to be horrified. Yes, one of you is going to betray me. Yes, I'm going to leave you. Yes, Peter is going to disown me. But do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And here Jesus is, he's not being proud. You know, humility doesn't mean that you're groveling around on the ground, whipping your back and whatever. Humility is just being honest before, before each other and before God. Just being honest. And pride is, is the unwillingness to be honest. Jesus is just simply saying, you believe in God, believe also in me. Why? Because if you have seen the Father, you have seen me, because the Father and I are one. So no longer just believe in God, believe in me, because the Father is in me and I am in the Father. That's what he was saying. Don't be afraid. Do not be troubled. Jesus is talking, making a clear statement about the unity between the Father and the Son and a bit later in the chapter, the Spirit. You know, love has a source. Love didn't evolve. True, selfless love comes from somewhere. Love can only come from another source of love. True love has a beginning, and the Greeks have this word for it called perichoresis, which talks about the loving, harmonious relations in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the source of love. So when you see people doing loving acts um, for others, that's where it comes from. And what God invites us to do, what Jesus is saying, if you believe in God, believe also in me, because love is in me and that love can be in you. And then he goes on to say, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Now that word room is used twice in, in, in scripture and both of them are in John chapter 14. In verse two, it says, my father's house has many rooms. 14 two, 
uh, house refers to a place where believers will go. This is just heaven. We call it heaven. So we'll be with Jesus. And then a few verses in verse 23, where Jesus is talking about the disciples and all future believers. Um, Jesus says this, My Father will love them and we... Jesus is speaking plural there about the Trinity. We will come to him and make our home with him. So the fact that we've got this home, this house that Jesus has prepared for us, it's not only that, Jesus says that we, that is God, we will come and make our home with you. We will no longer just be beside you, around you and about you. We will be in you. So that's why Jesus could say to the disciples, I know this is all bad news, bad news, bad news, but the good news is your hearts no longer need to be troubled because there's a place for you that I will prepare and you can come back, you will go to, to be with me at some time, but in the meantime, we will come to be in you. And one of the most, one of the most incredible phrases that Paul, in fact, most of the, the, the um, New Testament writers use is that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And it's just so important. This is my iPad. Um, what, I, what I had to do was I had to change the font um, before I turned it on because um, it was only on font 12. Um, and the, my iPad is quite good because it allows me to select 16. The only problem is that these, own, these I need these up to 18. But there's a problem because if I made the font 18 or 20, there'd be too many pages. So now, oh, you get it. My father's house has many rooms. And yet one of the things that I said in the, in the first um, group is that my problem is that I'm either incredibly serious or incredibly flippant um, and inappropriate. And I'm really trying my, my hardest to find middle ground. Uh, not sure. Hey, Katie. <laughs> Katie finds it hard to find middle ground too, actually. <laughs> You know, it runs in the family. <laughs> My father's, father's house has many rooms. A, a theologian who happened to be a mathematician, he got, a, got hold of Revelation 21 where it describes the dimensions of the new Jerusalem, our future home. And it says in the Bible that it's 2,500 square kilometres. Now that is big. And it's also really big. We don't know how tall it is. So, but it's a big building. And he's worked out that there's actually enough room for 14.67 billion people in there. And we're all going to have our own room, which is going to be really cool. Um, Natalie will have her own room. Um, and if my room's beside her, I can just sort of walk through the room. Because, you know, we, we can do that. We'll be able to do that in heaven. That's actually going to be quite a party trick. You know, Natalie's there just praising Jesus. And I go, ooh, hi. You know. Oh dear. One of my favourite Australians, and he's a great theologian, Colin Cruz, said this. He said, their faith in God, that's the disciples' faith in God, and in particular their faith in Jesus, would enable them to have calm in their hearts as they faced what lay ahead. And that is what Jesus promises us today. Gary talked about about, about the table being set in the presence of enemies. You know, 
I've lived probably longer than some of you. I'm 100 and... I've lost my memory. I'm over 100. And... Um, okay, I'm not. I'm nearly 70. Um, and, and then... I am. It's a fact. You know, I wasn't exaggerating then, you know. Um, now I've completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> that Gary talked about sitting a, sitting a table in the presence of enemies. You know, in my life, I've had some really great times, like holding Katie. Katie was born hand first, which is pretty weird. When she, as, she, as she emerged, she went... <laughs> and then I thought, this kid's going to be quirky. And so it, so it proved to be. <laughs> I've had some great times in my life, but I've also had really difficult times in my life. I know what it's like to have prolonged ill health. I had, I had a problem, an illness which lasted over 15 years. I know what I've been through, good times and difficult times. I know what it feels like to have be at a table in the presence of my enemies. And all of us know that. But that's, that's where Jesus, of course, comes to give hope. And the calm in the disciples' hearts, um, when they, as they faced what was to come, gives us peace even in a storm. Now, what lay ahead for the remaining 11 disciples after Judas did his thing? All of them except John were executed for their faith. Most of them were tortured, suffered terribly. I mean, Thomas doubting Thomas um, found his way to southern India. And you know, there are over 2 million St. Thomas Christians now in Kerala in southern India. Isn't that incredible? But he went and evangelised one place too far and got killed. Even the John, who the author of the of the of the gospel, legend says that, or good evidence says that he was actually boiled in oil by the by the um, uh, Roman um, what do you call the top guy, the emperor, sort of yeah, the Roman emperor, because what he wanted to do was to snuff out Christianity, and John just hung around, sang a few songs in the boiling oil, hopped out, dried himself, and the emperor decided that, wasn't, that didn't work like I expected it to. Um, so only John, despite all of that, died in old age. The rest of them died for their faith. And I often thought when I first became a Christian, you know, the ultimate test of my faith would be, am I prepared to give my life for Jesus? And I hope that I would. Our second slide uh, John 14, 5 to 7, keep reading. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered with some of the most incredible words in the Bible. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will, if you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. When Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Philip said the same thing basically a couple of verses later. I think they were speaking for all of the disciples. They really hadn't come to grips with Jesus' hand grenade that he was going. They just didn't understand it. And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. He starts that statement with I am. You know, Jesus makes five I am statements in the Gospel of John, uh, this one being one of them. The others are I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection of the life, and I am the true vine. The word I am has enormous um, 
uh, has enormous authority in the life of Jews because this is actually the name of God. And back in Exodus, God revealed his name to Moses. Moses had been chosen very reluctantly to lead the people out of Israel. And he says, hey, look, God, when I turn up there and say, God said, can you just tell me your name? So I can tell them your name. And he says, I, my name is I am who I am. And when they ask who sent you, say, I am sent you. So when Jesus is taking the words, I am the resurrection of the life, I am the way, the truth and the life. What he's saying is, I am Yahweh. I am God from all eternity. I am the name of God. And Jesus makes it very clear in chapter 8 in John, where he said, before Abraham was, I am. So these I am statements have enormous importance. Our next slide is an incredible theologian's summary. D.A. Carson, you know, you know you've made it as a theologian when you don't use your first name. I'm still called John, but once I've made it, it'll just be J.A. So, but at the, you can call me John, that's all right. But D.A. Carson, F.F. Bruce, you know, that, no, no. Jesus says, so this is what um, D.A. Carson says, Jesus is the way to God precisely because he is the truth of God and the life of God. He is God. Jesus is God's gracious self-disclosure, his word made flesh. Jesus is the life, the one who has life in himself, the resurrection and the life, the true God and eternal life. Only because he is the truth and the life can Jesus be the way for others to come to God, the way for his disciples to attain the many dwelling places in the Father's house, and therefore the answer to Thomas's question. Our next theologian is Thomas Akempis in the Middle Ages. He wrote this, he commented on these verses, but as a prayer in the first person with Jesus speaking. And this is what he said. Jesus speaking, follow thou me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. Pretty exclusive statements, eh? You know, we live in an inclusive world, but Jesus here is quite exclusive. And people who have followed Jesus know the exclusivity that Jesus brings. He doesn't say that I am one of the ways, I've got some of the truth and a bit of life. He is completely exclusive. All else is ruled out. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the invaluable, which means never to be broken, way, the infallible, not capable of error, truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, life blessed, life uncreated. The second part of this chapter, and it's really just Jesus continuing to, to explain why they don't need to be troubled, 
we start to talk about Jesus moves and he shifts gear now. And he starts to explain what he means when he told them, it's for your in, in your interest that I go back to the Father. And this is what Jesus says in John 15, 14, 15 to 21. If you love me, keep my commands. Can someone yell out to me, please, Jesus, two commands. He's only got two. I'll give you a clue. The first one is love God. What's the other one? Love your neighbour, love others. You know, when, it's, when Jesus says, if you love me, follow my commands. It doesn't say you've got to get up and fast between 4.30 and 5. I fast every day from 4.30 to 5.30 a.m. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I must make me holy. It is not those sort of commands that, that Jesus is talking about. Do you unconditionally love God? And do you show that by unconditionally love others? So that's when Jesus says, if you follow my commands, they're not onerous. It's not the book of Leviticus. Thank goodness. <laughs> I don't need now Leviticus to tell me how to treat my donkey. <laughs> if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And now he introduces him, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in the Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands, love God, love others, and keeps them by loving God and loving others, is the one who loves me. Have you ever wondered whether God loves you? Oh, do you love me, God? Do you love God? Tick. Do you show unconditional love to others? Tick. Or it could be, I'm working on it. But that's okay too, because we're all working on it. On that day, you will realise that I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. The word advocate, when it says I will send you another advocate and some translations will, it says I will give you another, I will send another counsellor or another comforter, or another helper. And it's actually the Greek word parakletos. In fact, some old translations just translate it as paraclete, um, which I rather, I rather they did actually, because all of the meanings that are tied up into it. And so, but when you, whatever your translation says, we need to understand we're talking about a strong word, not a wishy-washy word. The word parakletos has two different meanings. When used as a noun, it refers to a large ship that sailed on the Mediterranean and its role was to provide security and safety for small ships that were in trouble. So if you were in a small ship and it was in trouble, they would send a parakletos out to come alongside you. And it's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit coming alongside us in a storm. But here in this passage, it's used as a verbal adjective. And what that means is that these are action words. 
And all of these words, particularly advocate and counsellor, have legal overtones. And what it is, can you imagine that you are in trouble, you are surrounded and you are being accused. And it's the advocate who comes alongside us to defend us, to support us and to say, this is my child. I will defend my child. And that is the Holy Spirit coming alongside you. And when we're used as comforter and helper, it's not just an, oh, there's a nice bit of comfort. It's not that. It's someone who provides real, deep, emotional, spiritual comfort when we're in trouble. That is what the Holy Spirit is. What is true about Jesus is true about the Spirit. How do we know that? Because the Spirit is another counsellor. One, one writer has described it as, um, as that, you know when you lose words? Just like them. <laughs> exactly the same. What is true about, the, what Je- true about Jesus is true about Spirit. It's the alter ego that whatever is true about the one is the other. Jesus and the Spirit are the same. There is everything that is about Jesus is true about the Spirit. And everything that is true about Jesus is true of the Father. I think a lot of us have this idea that somehow behind Jesus, we just love. I mean, Jesus is just so cuddly, you know. He's just, we just love the words of Jesus. But sometimes we get this idea there's this shadowy God in the distance, a God who does things that we just can't quite understand. It's like this shadowy God. But, but these passages put all that to rest. All of the Father is in Jesus. All of Jesus is in the Spirit. And we can live a Trinitarian life because we know that Jesus comes to us by the Spirit and all of the Father is in Christ. The second reference to the Spirit in John 14 is 25 to 27, our next slide. All of this, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There's that word troubled again. Interesting that the counter, the opposite, the antonym of troubled is peace so that we can gather around the table in the presence of our enemies and have peace, even though there is trouble around us. And that's what's so beautiful about the picture that Gary shared with us today. It's interesting that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth. Now, does this mean that the Holy Spirit is going to whisper special truths that only you know in your ear? If you watch YouTube you'll find that there's lots of people who think that the Holy Spirit has whispered really special things in your ear. You know, like, um, I I, I don't know exactly the day which is Jesus is coming, but write this day on your diary. It's July the 4th, because, you know, Jesus is American, so he has to come on July the 4th. And so, you know, when anybody starts giving you these secret truths, run, (laughs) just run. Run, because that's not what, when the Holy Spirit says he's going to lead us into all truth. Do you know the sole purpose of the Holy Spirit? To reveal Jesus. He has no other purpose in our lives than to reveal Jesus. 
I've been a believer for over 40 years. Every day, the Spirit is revealing Jesus to me. And yes, if you've been a, if you've been a believer for two minutes, as opposed to 40 years, you've got the net rest of your life for the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus in you. And it's interesting that Paul takes this one step further and actually refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. Really interesting, isn't it? When we first come to Jesus, we meet Him by the Spirit, and the Spirit will continue to reveal Jesus throughout our lives. When we first come to Him, um, Jesus says, well, it's, it's like being born again. Because what happens is, and what's happened to me, is that my life came under new ownership. What happened is that the Spirit of John and the mind of John which ran John, has now, that, that has now been put into second place. And now the Holy Spirit has brought Jesus to take the prominence in my life. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm a robot. God's given us all these other amazing things. But what it means is that I am out under new management and I'm under Jesus' management. So how does the Holy Spirit continue to reveal Jesus? Well, it happens through Scripture and prayer. It belong, through belonging to a community of believers. You know, right now, as we are together, as we're worshipping, as we're listening to the Word, whatever we might be doing, praying for each other, this is the Holy Spirit bringing Jesus to our midst. And so being in community is a critical part of having Jesus revealed. Now, I'm not saying Jesus can't reveal to you if you're, if you're alone on an island somewhere, but when we come together, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit brings Jesus and we can worship Him. You know, and that's when we worship Him, we, what's happening is that the Holy Spirit just releases praise and worship to Jesus. How can He do that? Because everything of Christ is in the Spirit and the Spirit lives in us. It's also through the gifts of the Spirit which are released in us once we, when we become believers. The whole purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are to reveal Jesus to you and to others. So when we prayed for healing for Maximus today, we were praying for the gift of healing and some of us were praying in tongues, which is the gift of the Spirit. These things are all about revealing the power, the healing power of Jesus to this child and this family. And that's what happens. That's what happens. Our last slide is another one of these theologians who doesn't have a first name. You know, I'm going to call him Fred. I actually don't know what F.F. Bruce's actual name is. Thanks. Curtis, F.F. Bruce said this in summarising the coming of the Spirit. He's actually an incredible writer. The disciples knew that in themselves they were quite incapable of any such achievement. But he went on to tell them of the coming of the paraclete who would empower them and make their witness effective. The greater works, which Anika read out, of which he now spoke to them, would still be his own works, accomplished no longer by his visible presence among them, but by, the, by his spirit within them. And it was only by his going to the Father that the paraclete would come to them. 
So what have we learned today? Well, we've learned a lot about Jesus, that in the midst of trouble of his disciples, in the midst of our trouble, he was a lot more concerned about his disciples' welfare than what was about to happen to him. It wasn't until he got to Gethsemane when he was by himself, because his big brave disciples all went to sleep, that when Jesus, it said he sweat like drops of blood and he said to the Father, if possible, can you take this cup from me, but yet not my will, but yours be done. So we've learned a lot about Jesus. We've understood his extraordinary love for us. If you ever, if you ever want to know how much Jesus loves you, just read, read what happens at the end of the Gospels. We've also learned that Jesus is the full revelation of God. Outside of Christ, there is nothing else to know about God. Isn't that interesting? There is no mystery. You don't have to climb some mountain in the Himalayas to find those last little truths of God. And all of Jesus is in us because the Spirit dwells in us. You know, I always find it interesting when people say, Holy Spirit, fall on us. Now, I know the Holy Spirit can do that, but it, has this, it gives us the impression that the Holy Spirit's up there somewhere and needs to come on us for something to happen. No, when I pray for that, I do the exact reverse. I say, Holy Spirit in me, come and flood me, come and fill me full of faith and do this to every one of us. And so faith can be lifted so we can pray for healing. We can pray for salvation of your loved ones and all of those things. The Holy Spirit will be just like Jesus. Jesus said that when the, I send the Spirit, He will be just like me. He will be another advocate to come and be with us and live in us forever. And lastly, that we can share in the internal life of the Trinity, our glorious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we come to Jesus, we don't just get Jesus. We get the Spirit to come and live in us and we have direct access to the Father. When Jesus said, greater things you will do than I have done. And what He was saying is not that you can do more party tricks than me. I mean, raising the dead, that's pretty good. You're gonna raise two. No, um, that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying that with the coming, with me ascending to the Father, there's a new age is coming, a new age where every single one of us has direct personal access to the Father's ear. And how does that happen? Because through the Holy Spirit, our prayers and intercessions get lifted up and carried as an incense to Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father and He whispers in the ear, Hey, you don't need me to tell you this because I know you're listening, but this is what your kids want. And we have that type of access. Access not, not, not like fearfully. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because Jesus has made the way. And He has confirmed that with the, with the sending of the Spirit. Paul talks about the Spirit as being a seal, a seal of our salvation. You know, you are marked and you are sealed with the Spirit. There is in your spirit, there is a seal. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that an incredible thing? When the books are open, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, they will not be judged. And Jesus said that. He said, I'm not gonna judge you because you've taken my name. 
It's not that, that's, a, that's not an open way to live whatever we like because that means you're no longer loving God and, and it's not what we mean. But Jesus has come so that we can live a life experiencing the fullness of the Trinity. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You that You sent another advocate. You sent the Spirit when we first said to You, Jesus, we kneel before You, we turn from our sins and we accept the work of the cross. The Holy Spirit came and flooded our life. We are marked with the seal of salvation. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone who has not yet done that. And if you're here with us today, and you haven't got to that point of having your spirit marked with the seal of salvation, you haven't yet come to Jesus, I just want to put your hand up, please, so you can do it today. Just put your hand up. You may be someone who's walked away from Jesus. This could be your day to come back. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that each one of us is filled with your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us as orphans. You sent all of God to live within us. And we thank you, Lord, that we are no longer troubled, that we can have peace because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you that we have come to the Father because of what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.